Welcome to the Have You Ever Podcast. My name is Michael Nielsen, a fitness enthusiast, lifelong learner who is always asking questions. Each week I will dive into topics you've always wanted to know more about, but never had the courage to explore. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of Have You Ever. Hey, what's going on? This is the Have You Ever podcast. This is episode 33, and as always, I am your host, Michael Nielsen. For any of my sport fans out there, we had a very exciting weekend. The winners of both the ladies' and the men's singles tournament was crowned this past Sunday, with local Aussie Ashley Barty being the winner of the women's singles tournament, and Rafael Nadal was the winner of the men's singles tournament, With Nadal's victory, it brought him to 21 Grand Slam tournament wins, moving him into first place all time. An absolute incredible feat. Also, this past Sunday, the Canadian men's national soccer team once again continued their winning ways with a victory over the United States. This is along the way to qualify for this year's World Cup. And lots going in the news, as our discussion last week about personal finance was extremely timely, as both the U.S. and Canadian markets were extremely volatile this past week. In our discussion this week, I chat with Steve Sweats about his journey becoming a pastor. I've known Steve for about five years, playing in a weekly softball league with him, And it was great to know a little bit more about Steve's journey becoming a pastor, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. Reverend Steve Sweats graduated from Mid-America Reform Seminary in 2007. After a seven-year pastorate in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Steve moved to Hamilton, Ontario, along with his wife, Rachel, and their four children. He has been the pastor of Reboeth United Reformed Church since 2016, In his free time, Steve enjoys reading and playing sports. Highlights of today's episode include Steve discusses the process of becoming a pastor, his undergraduate degree, and what is taught in seminary school. Steve shares three different lessons that he has learned in his life since becoming a pastor, And we discuss where Steve finds his inspiration for his weekly lessons that are shared with his congregation. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with a friend. And I ask for you to always please rate and review Have You Ever on iTunes or Spotify. It really does help this podcast grow. So without further ado, here we go with Steve Sweats on Becoming a Pastor. Welcome back, everyone, to the Have You Ever podcast. I am joined today with Steve Sweat. Steve, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good to see you again. So before we jump into the journey of you becoming a pastor, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you were born, and when did you move to Canada? Yeah, so I was born just south of Chicago. I'm 40 40 years old, and... I went through all my schooling there, and then once I got done with seminary, I was ordained as a pastor in Abbotsford, British Columbia. So that would have been 2008, yeah, almost 14 years ago. And I was pastor in British Columbia until 2016. So I've been here now six years. And I married, 
and we have four kids. Youngest is seven, oldest is 13. So busy with raising them and the blessings that that brings as well. Would you say that you always wanted to be a pastor? Was this like a goal that you had when you were younger? And when did this become a goal that you wanted to pursue for yourself? Yeah, it's, um, it was not what I wanted to be growing up. But I grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents and Christian grandparents. And faith was very important. And people would say to me when I was a boy, when you grow up, you're going to be a minister. And I just hated hearing that. In fact, my mom saved some of the papers I had from, I think, grade two or grade three. This is what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote on there, anything but a minister. (laughs) Wow, that's funny. (laughs) So when I was yeah, getting older, become a teenager, I probably wanted to go into law. But I wasn't serious about life at that point through the high school years, 14, 15, 16, 17. So it wasn't until my grade 12 year had just started that really God changed my life. Um, And I was not walking with him. I was living a very rebellious life before that. And really through one event, God completely changed my direction in life. And I, a couple months after that change, I knew I wanted to go go into the ministry and tell people about the grace of God for, for sinful people. So what was that one event, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, <clears throat> so I'll try to make that story short, shorter. And um, so what happened was I have two older sisters and the sister just above me was playing university softball at a public university in the U.S. And she lived in a house with, I think, seven or eight softball players. So when I was in high school, me and my friends would go down to the university and party there. But she started dating a guy who was just from an unbelieving background, home. And I said to her, I said, you know, he's not right for you because he's not in the faith. And over a period of time, they ended up breaking up. And I said, my sister was upset about it. I said, you know, this is for the best. And he talked to me, her boyfriend that talked to me and says, you know, what's your problem, man? And I said, listen, until you're ready to be serious about your faith, we don't, I don't want you to be part of my family. He's like, look at you. You and I are no different. I was drunk at that time. He's like, you and I are no different. We do the same things. We talk the same way. He's like, just because you go sit in church for an hour on Sunday makes you different. And I kind of said, this isn't about me. Well, the guy was completely right. So anyway, so I go home then after that weekend and talking to my parents on the Monday. And I tell them that story. My parents were always very open and willing to talk about faith. And even though they knew I was not walking close to God and I told them that story and my dad said, well, what do you think? How are you living your life? And all of a sudden it just all kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I I just, I felt my sin for the first time. I felt ashamed before God and I felt freed. Like I I felt like God had taken this burden of sin and, and, and wrong choices and living the wrong way. Just, he took that off of me and I felt freed and, I prayed with my parents then, and that was really the event that changed my life. And then when you're in grade 12, that, that's a hard time to change. Yeah. First of all, nobody believes you. <laughs> and then you have to, you know, all your friends, like all my friends were all, you know, potheads and whatnot. And like, well, you got to kind of find new friends, which isn't that fun when you're in grade 12. Yeah. So through that process at 18 years old, then 
I began the the process of going four years university, three years of seminary, so seven years of school to become a minister. But it was all very clear for me that this is God's kind of leading and direction in my life. So what is that kind of process of becoming a pastor look like? like what, like the first four years of school, what are they? So what, yeah, men who go into the ministry, then they, they have to have a bachelor's degree, but it could really be a bachelor's in anything. Okay. I got a bachelor of philosophy, bachelor of arts in philosophy. And you can go to any university. You can go to a Christian university or you can go to a public one. Um, I mean, there's some things that will kind of lend itself more to studying in the ministry, history, philosophy, maybe like classical languages, Greek and Latin, because you're going to use those in theology. Right. But really, what the best form of training is just a liberal arts education where you, you cover it all. So, like, I went straight through from high school to university to seminary, but some guys might, they w- might work for 10 years. Um, like, th- my predecessor, where I am now in Hamilton, um, at Rehoboth United Reformed Church, my predecessor was an accountant for, I don't know, 15 years. So when he entered the ministry, then he was, you know, 40 years old. And so worked out fine. But when you go to school, when you're 40, it's a whole lot different than going to school when you're 22, oh, right. yeah. especially when you got to learn, you know, Greek and Hebrew and some of these languages. So, so what's, uh, what seminary school look like? Like, uh, you said it's three years. What kind of things do you study? And how does that kind of process look to get you ready to become, you know, a pastor at a church? Yeah, sure. Um, so the seminary I went to, which is Mid-America Reform Seminary, which is south of Chicago, is a, is a three-year school. Some of them are four years. And so what you're going to do is you're going to take languages. So the Bible is written in Hebrew, the Old Testament, and then Greek, New Testament. So you have to know those languages. Some seminaries make you learn them beforehand. Some will teach you them when you're in seminary. And the classes you're going to take are you know, theology courses, um, the doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ, doctrine of man. So all the different areas of theology. You'll have to take some counseling courses, pastoral counseling, marriage counseling, church history courses, um, kind of world religions courses to learn about different faiths, different religions. Um, I had to take courses, obviously, on preaching because, yeah, probably as a minister, depending on what church you go to, like the denomination of churches I'm from, a minister preaches two sermons every Sunday. And they're totally different sermons. So really probably 60, 70 percent of my work is just writing sermons. It's a very important part of the training. And then throughout that process, um, so it's three years long, but in the summers between those years, you could do a 10 week internship at a church and you okay. get to preach and you get, get to kind of act like you're the pastor. That, that's a really helpful process of, of training on the job while you're in school. Right. Almost similar to you would have it say, like you're going to become a plumber, you know, you'd, you'd have school, but have some practical aspects of it at the same time. Yeah. It's really kind of an apprenticeship for those summers. Right. For sure. So what's the process like to applying to become a pastor at a specific church? Um, you know, I think you said you would um, now pastor at two churches in British Columbia and now here in Ancaster. Is it just like any other job application that you might have? No, it's, it's different. Um, and different denominations are do it a little bit differently as well. Some will have that if you're already an ordained minister, 
in that denomination, you can apply for different positions. But kind of in, in the churches that I'm from, really the churches seek out the minister. And a church can ask a minister to become their pastor. In fact, back in November, so just two months ago, there was two churches, one in Alberta and the one also in Ontario here who asked me to be their minister. And I said no to both of them. And that means that I stay here. Mm-hmm. But at some point, probably in the future, <laughs> some church is going to ask them to say yes. Okay. Um, so that, that process is tricky. Like just, just to tell you kind of how it worked for us. Like this church in Alberta calls me to be their pastor. They offer me a job to put it in kind of business language. They offer me a job. They tell me the salary. They tell me the expectations. My wife and I fly out there for a weekend. I preach and meet them. Then I have a couple of weeks to decide whether or not that's God's leading in my life. Okay. So that's a, that's a big, that's putting your life on hold for three weeks. And that's a lot of mental energy going into that. So it's almost like to put it in a different terms, almost like uh, in sports, like a, a team trying to court a, like an un uh, or, or a free agent to try to get them to come to your team. Almost like that in a way. I know like in, in the NHL, they have, they ask players to come for tryouts. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably more happens when you're like, right when you get done with seminary and you're, you're looking for your first church, they'll have more of that when you go to different churches. Sometimes, sometimes they call it candidating. You're a candidate. You can be called by these churches. So you might go preach in a different, number of different ones and see if any of them are interested in you. And yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your current church that you're the pastor at? I know uh, just from our own personal connection that it's in Ancaster, but you know what the name is and kind of what the denomination is and just a little bit more about maybe the kind of demographics that you might see in the church. Sure. Yeah. So the church that I pastor at is called Rehoboth United Reformed Church. And a Rehoboth, that's a strange word. <laughs> that's a Hebrew word taken from Genesis. That that word means that God has given us a place. Abraham said this in Genesis 22. That's where that word comes from. And it's part of the of federation of churches called the United Reformed Churches in North America. It's a pretty small federation. It's maybe 125 churches. And probably one third of those are in Canada, two thirds in the U.S. Um, and the whole federation makes up 25,000 people. So that's if your listeners are into that type of thing, that's kind of the demographics of the denomination. The church I pastor is about 330, 340 people, probably half are below the age of 18, half or above so a, lot, a lot of young families. And yeah, there were historically our church comes out of like the Protestant reformation of the 16th century. And Particularly then, like the Reformation of the church, the Protestant Reformation happened in different countries. German, Germany was one of the first ones, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the branch my church is from is the Dutch side, the Netherlands side. And so all the old people in our church pretty much immigrated right after World War II. From, in that sense, like yeah. this, these people, their ancestors would have been in the Netherlands before 1948 type of thing. Okay. Um, so, but we have people from in our church that are, you know, say native Canadians. Um, we have people that are from South Africa, a family from Congo, 
family from Australia. Um, and where we're located is we have a number of people from that kind of area community that are around there. And it's kind of in the, we're on, we're on the Hamilton mountain, um, right on the border of Hamilton and Ancaster there. Um, so yeah. And then our church kind of the, is governed by elders. Um, and then I'm the, the lead pastor. And then we're actually in the process of calling a second pastor. And there's a couple other staff that are part-time, but. What are uh, three different lessons that you've learned in your life since becoming a pastor? Okay. It's a good question. Um, and God has a way of teaching us things. And probably what that's probably the first lesson I've learned. It's one of those things that you know in life. And if you've had wise people in your life talk to you, they probably told you this, but uh, it's to be humble. And God has ways of humbling us. I mean, COVID should have humbled the entire world. Mm-hmm. Like we thought we had it all figured out. Like there's nothing bringing down the economy. There's nothing, right? <laughs> COVID hum- humbled everybody. Unfortunately, some people probably should have been humbled, but we're not. But that, you know, it, this world is, is greater than us doesn't revolve around us. We're here for a time and God fits us in a particular role. And sometimes God brings difficulty into our life to humble us because the reason for a believer, the reason for God's humbling of his people is that they might trust him more. And I think in the ministry, you're continually reminded of that. So to be humble. And then secondly, probably to depend on God. I mean, I could, as a pastor, I could work with a, let's say a couple comes to me and they're, they're having issues with their marriage and I could tell them all the right things. And I, I could give them like the best type of counseling that, that I possibly could, but they might not change. Well, why, why aren't they changing? If I'm teaching them the right things, if I'm telling them the right things, well, it's because it's their heart. Right. I can't change their heart. Um, and even, I mean, take the Lord Jesus Christ who had 12 disciples, only 11 of which actually believed they had the greatest possible preacher ever, Jesus Christ, and Judas still rejected him. Um, so that, that's, that's both humbling, but it also leads us to, to trust in the Lord. Um, yeah. And probably the third thing, which has been one of the most encouraging things that I've learned, is I've learned it in my own life, but every time I see it in other people's lives, it's just so encouraging and makes me just Praise the Lord. And that's God's grace is greater than our sin. I've talked to people that think God can never save me because I've done this or because I've done that. I know people that have been in prison and people that have done bad things. I think, you know what? They're, they're just rotten people. They're, they're hopeless, but they're not actually hopeless. Nobody's hopeless um, when they're, while they're still alive. The grace of God is greater than our sin. It was greater than my sin when I was, you know, in grade 12, and my life changed around. And it's greater than all the sins that I've committed since then. It's a continual process of fighting sin. And so really, I mean, once in a while, people will be like, I, I don't, I'm not really into church, I'm not into religion, a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Um, and some people have been hurt by churches. But I think if Christians could just be honest about their sin and not come off the fact that, I'm better than everybody else, or I, I have this all figured out, but that, that humbling with sin, be like, realize what we deserve 
and then realize what we receive in grace, that salvation, eternal life can come fully, wholly by God's free grace in Jesus Christ. That's the message our nation needs. That's the message my neighbor needs. And it's the, it's the message that God continues to teach me time and again. His grace is sufficient for us, even though we mess it up often. Right. That's a great point about, you know, we're, we're no different than anyone else who may not uh, be going to church or may not be a, a believer. What would you say that you enjoy the most about going to church every week to preach the message of God? Yeah, I, I think the, I mean, there's different parts of the ministry. I, I do a lot of visits to the sick, to the elderly. I teach a lot, teach quite often. I, I teach like, you know, the youth of our congregation, teach them all, all of these things, teach Bible studies. Um, but really when, when you're the pastor of a church and you have, you have visitors come to the church each week, but really you have your core people that are going to be there next year. And they were, they've been there for five years type of thing right. to walk with them through life and to be able to open the word of God. Like I never have the fear on Sunday when I go up to the pulpit with my Bible that I have nothing to say because the Bible has the message right. that you could open the word. And that's why you could have Bible study your whole entire life and still not be able to begin to plummet the depths of the scriptures. But that each week, I have the privilege to go into worship and to explain God's word and to show them, see, this is what God can do in your life. This is what faith looks like. And this is what forgiveness looks like. So that process of preaching, especially um, to the congregation I love and, and shepherd, um, is, is life fulfilling. It's a, it's a joy each week. It's interesting you say that you, you know, for the most part, people are going to be there week after week for years and years and years. And you kind of get to go along that journey with them as well. Uh, you said that like 60 to 70% of your work is involved with, you know, writing your sermons and, and preparing Bible lessons. Do you ever find it difficult to find something new to talk about every week? And where do you find the inspirations in the lessons that you create? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And as life goes on, we have times where we're more excited about something and less, less excited. There, there still is a believer, a, a deep joy in the work, but what I do, and this is kind of what I, I was taught in my like seminary training was to preach continuously through books of the Bible. So you don't just pick random passages the danger of picking random passages is you're, you're cherry picking. You're cherry picking either your favorites. You're cherry picking the things that you think, right? There's a danger in that. And if, if we believe as Christians that all of the Bible is useful for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness, then every, every part of the scripture is, is valid to preach from. And so really the content of the message then comes from the text itself. So I don't have to have new ideas. I'm I, Lord willing, I will be preaching in 25 years, the same message I preach today. And that that's the same message of the entire scriptures, whether it's in the, you know, about Noah and the flood, whether it's about Joseph being sold as a slave, whether it's about King David or about Jesus, the message is essentially the same. God is doing a work through the whole Bible of redeeming a people for himself unto everlasting life. And so you, you point 
each week to Jesus Christ in that passage, even before Christ was born. Um, so, I mean, the struggle that I would have is more how to divide up a text and probably how to make it a little bit shorter. Cause I, once you're done studying, you're like, I have this much, you know, I usually, my sermons are probably say 35 minutes long. But you end up with like an hour of, of stuff right. and you got to whittle that down. That, that's a hard process to do. Right. And you also don't want to get too technical. I mean, you have kids sitting there. Mm-hmm. You also don't want to dumb it down so that anyway, so that's, that those are some of the challenges, but what to preach. Um, yeah, I don't find that that difficult, but how to work it all that that can be tricky at times. What's one thing that you wish you were better at to become either a more effective pastor or just a general leader within your church? Mm. Um, probably patience. Patience is probably my greatest uh, weakness. I think it's always been my entire life. Um, I mean, I could blame my dad and my grandfather. I look at them and I'm like, oh man, they, they remind me of me. But um, just to different people come along at different paces. Um, people are at different stages of their life. And so, for instance, there's, there's three young people that have just started coming to our church maybe two, three months ago. And they're from atheistic background. And it's really a neat story of, of, of God working through one of them and then him saying to his brother and his brother's girlfriend, let's just try out a church and they come here. And so you see these baby Christians then that are excited about it. Um, and it's, they're, they're so excited to learn. They want to learn and teach me more, teach me more. You can preach for an hour. They say, preach an hour longer. I want to hear more. And then you have other people that have been in the church for 50, 60 years. And they're just kind of apathetic to things. You feel like, you know, giving them a theological smack to the back of the head and saying, wake up, buddy. Um, love your wife. Be faithful at work. Stop, you know. But, but these also can be God's sheep that need to be shepherded. And so to be patient with them and to let the Holy Spirit work in them. Um, and then also to be patient with myself. It can be hard on myself sometimes. Um, yeah. Let's say yeah. I'd go with patience. You had just mentioned there about uh, some new people that have come into your church who may not uh, have believed before. So how do you introduce to someone the idea about believing in a higher being? Mm. So I think this, I don't, hopefully this doesn't sound, come across as arrogant, but I think everybody believes in a higher being. I think there is, God has made us in his image. Every single person is made in the image of God. And even though it's broken because of sin, it's not, not a perfect image anymore. And that image does not refer to how we look. It's everybody's a worshiping being. God made us to be worshipers. And so if you don't worship the creator, you're going to worship the creature. And so whether that's money, whether that's sports, whether that's a false God or idol, whether that's, you know, I mean, think of the Greeks and the Romans, they made up a pantheon of gods. I think everybody has some understanding of a higher power. And like the apostle Paul in Acts 17 went to Athens, which was a very secular place. It was the, the, the very seat of philosophy in the ancient world. And he says in Acts 17 that, that as he walked through the city, he saw a monument to an unknown God. 
they had, they had, they had temples to all these different gods. They had a monument to unknown God. He says, I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. And it's, I mean, he goes on to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so I think there's that ingrained knowledge of a higher being. Probably what people need to grasp is that that higher being is personal, is near to us, and can have a very real daily connection to our lives. I think, I think people who maybe are you know, agnostic believe in kind of a deistic type God. Yeah, he's not, maybe there's a creator, but he has nothing to do with us. But yeah, it's, you, can, you can talk and you can try to convince, but really the Holy Spirit has to work in the heart um, to, to soften people's hardened heart. Why would you say that an understanding of the Bible is so important, even if you're not uh, religious in any capacity or have really no specific connection to any church? Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, I think everybody in life has to answer a few questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? And all that, uh, all that operates under the idea of purpose. What is the purpose? What is the goal? And I think people are looking. People look at the wrong places, but people are looking. And I think the Bible has the clear answer to those questions. Who are we? We're image bearers of God, but we're fallen in sin. And everything in the world is broken because of sin. But there's some solutions to this in Jesus Christ, a restoration of all things. Where am I going? Well, by faith, going to heaven, without faith, going to hell. And so that clear distinction, I mean, if, if you ask a, you know, my unbelieving neighbor, who's a great guy, um, super nice neighbor, what is the purpose of it all? Well, it'd be to find fulfillment in helping others. And you ask, why do you help others? Because it brings me satisfaction. Ultimately, the answer is happiness. The goal of his life is happiness. Well, my neighbor happens to be a nice guy, but some people seek to find happiness in drugs, alcohol, sex, money, like all these things that can never, ever satisfy, no matter how much you have. And that's what the world seeks. And so the message of Christianity is, um, here's the answer to who you are and where you came from and where you can be going. So I know you really like to read a lot, and I know in your personal library, you have probably thousands of books. Um, let's say besides the Bible, what author or book has made the biggest impact in your life? Okay. Well, there's been a lot of books. You know, sometimes you read a book and you're like, wow, that is kind of a, <laughs> that's a mind shifting book. You could, I've, I've read, I've read a lot of those books. I'm like, wow. Okay. This is, this is really a great book, but probably the book that's, that impacted me most because I read it early on and I've read it probably four or five times is a book that's written in the second, the end of the 1600s, it's called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. John Bunyan was an English Puritan um, writer, but it's a, it's a story. It's really an allegory. It's a story of somebody named Christian who's got to walk through a whole bunch of trials 
it reached the very end of all things, which is the Celestial City. So probably that book, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, probably had the biggest impact on me. So these next two questions I always like to ask to the end of the uh, episode. What's one thing you want our listeners to get out of today's conversation? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, but in talking about my journey and what God has done in my life, I want your listeners to hear that um, God can do amazing things, even when we don't expect it. Um, One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Joseph. And Joseph was a man who was loved by his father, but his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery in Egypt. But through a process of events, he becomes second in Egypt to Pharaoh. And through a drought in the land, he ends up saving his whole entire family, including all the brothers that wanted to kill him. And he says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so I think all the things that take place in our life happen for a particular reason. And I think we won't be able to connect the dots until we give these things over to God. And so I, w- I, would, I would encourage your listeners to take a more um, biblical, spiritual understanding of the world around them and what it is they do. You don't have to be a minister to be spiritual in your work. God, for believers, God calls all of them to be faithful in the work, whether they're a student in school or a, a, a wife in the home, whatever it is. Um, so just that all of life operates under this authority of God in a, in a, in a joy-fulfilling way. And finally, Steve, what's something you want to learn more about? And again, this does not have to be related to anything that we're talking about uh, today. Okay, what do I want to learn more about? Um, well, I, one thing that's interesting to me is I think we're living in a, in a time where things are changing very quickly. They're not necessarily changing for the better. And I don't want to be one of those people that just says, you know, forget the world. Um, let, 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 let the world go down this path. And you have a whole push from um, one side, whether it's, and uh, I, don't, I don't want to misspeak here, but um, a, a, a pressure of, of trans- transgenderism and all of those things. Um, and the whole LGBTQ agenda. What I want to understand more is where they're coming from and how the church can help them. And so it's not always an antagonistic us versus them, but that as a, as a pastor, as a, as a neighbor, how can I, in a very real way, love you and care for you as my neighbor? Um, and so I, I've been reading books um, about those things, but but really, I'd, I would like to have more conversations with people in that community. So that, I'd say that's what I want to learn more about at this point in my life. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about uh, your journey. And I hope everyone has learned a little bit more about uh, how you became a pastor and uh, can learn more about the Word of God. So thank you so much for joining me. All right. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was good to talk and good to, good to see you again. Thanks for tuning into the Have You Ever podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Do you have a topic you would like me to explore? I would love to hear from you. You can follow me on Instagram at haveyouever.podcast. Have a great day and stay curious.